Michael Heyman, and you're listening to Changemakers. Now, I'm joined today by Jason Knights of Ground Control, the B Corp challenger brand delivering human nature at its best. He recently penned a piece for Fast Company making the $5 trillion case for biodiversity. It's an ambition propelling the rapid growth of the business through an environmentally friendly approach to landscaping, fostering biodiversity, and ushering in a better environmentally and socially responsible future. This, then, is the story of an eco-warrior with a difference, using business as the tool to affect change. Tell us more, Jason, welcome to Changemakers. Thanks for having me today. Oh, really good to see you. Now, frame the business for us. Let's start there. Tell us about Ground Control. Well, Ground Control, we're uh, <clears throat> actually this year, we're 50 years old, which is a uh, which is exciting. It was bought 17 years ago by uh, Simon and Kim Morris, and they certainly took the business into a different arena. Ground control in its grassroots literally is a, uh, a ground maintenance uh, company that works on uh, commercial, retail, utilities, canal and river trust, environmental agency. We manage, we, we, we kind of manage the environment. So mm-hmm. As well as maintaining, we've, we've clearly got a, a, a big focus of putting things back to the way they should be as well. When we've spoken about this before, I always think about, I mean, you're a business that sees the world through all the four seasons that, that we live through, right? In terms of the way that the climate changes, the way that our environment changes. And of course, you partially, I suppose, drawn down on that through a Fast Company piece that you, you wrote earlier this year, making the $5 trillion case for biodiversity. It's a lot of money. How are you going to make it? <laughs> well, well, yeah, it is a lot of money. You know, I think I, I, as a as a business, we all focus on uh, carbon. I think the world is really, really kind of obsessed with carbon reduction, and carbon reduction is is really important. And there's metrics in place clearly to ena- to enable that with carbon neutrality, the journey to net zero. I think what we're really focusing on is the the point of biodiversity. Like biodiversity is a creating the environment that we live in whether you be a bacteria or you be a killer whale or a whale it's the it's all about the environment as a business what i'm really passionate about is like we're we're pretty small on this planet and the planet is a is a strong being about trying to defend itself so as human beings we're putting lots of carbon into the environment and taking away biodiversity to strip it of its potential to protect itself and what we want to do is put things back to enable the earth to protect itself and not suffer from global warming and the likes that are happening because of mass globalization mm. so with our, with our environment so obviously we we work in all the seasons we've just come off the hottest summer i think since 1976 so it's not a joke anymore. These extreme weather conditions are are happening. We're going mm-hmm. into uh, a winter, and I think all of us we don't know whether it's going to be mild, it's going to be a beast from the east, or we're going to have flash floods. I mm-hmm. I think we've uh, as a sort of a population we're living in so much doubt of what we're going to live in, and also then you align that with the energy crisis where people are trying not to put the heating on. But uh, I mean, it's a lot on the world's to-do list, right? I mean, but the thing, I mean, you're right to raise the issue of the long, hot summer that we've just had. And of course, I had, I'd forgotten about the beast from the east. I mean, you know, whichever season we're in, it seems there's, there's something ever more menacing. But I suppose with a business like yours, where you are 
literally working on the land around the country. When you look at the country and the estates and and, and you, you've, you've listed the sorts of things that you, you, you work on, but when you look at the kind of the state we're in, I suppose what goes behind that phrase, human nature at its best in terms of the nature that you find as a business through ground control's day-to-day work? Yeah, so it's kind of amazing. So we talk about the hot summer. So a core part of our our business probably a third is ground maintenance so we're we're clearly maintaining sites throughout the uk and and actually quite a lot of major utility providers as well as retail logistics but we're entering into the season of growth and then it's so hot hot the weather the grass doesn't grow Mm. it dies and the environment needs it to grow so when when we're sort of entering into the the different seasons it's remarkable how we 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 see it working but also geographically like we we mainly work in the uk so whether we're at Land's End or, or Scotland, you can really see how climate change is already affecting the UK because clearly it now doesn't get as cold below Birmingham and it is very cold and frosty above Birmingham. I think five years ago, it was probably colder in London. Mm. So I, I, think, I, I, yeah. I saw that. I mean, I was on a, a flight to Glasgow a few weeks ago and, you know, the first half of the country was, you know, the fields were brown and then all of a sudden it went lush green and you could really see, I mean, that is the real north-south divide now, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's it's, it's really happening. Like I, I recently, it's like flying over Spain, the south of England, isn't it? Yeah, the barren landscape, no grass is growing. It's, it's kind of just recovered now. But then obviously parts of northern England are, are lush and green and the hot weather had didn't have as much an impact but mm. what what we're really trying to do because we we are from a a strong position where because of our our client base we have sites all over 55,000 sites across England and Scotland and what we're really trying to do is link them together as a map so rather than looking at one area and trying to make it better we're trying to link everything and create pathways and and uh, improvements on a larger scale and mm. rather just than just by project by project. And, and, you know, I must say, when you and I have spoken before, I mean, obviously, you know, you've got a, a very physical business that, that looks after the environment, but there's a side of your business which feels more like a kind of tech business in terms of the kind of, you know, the technology that is being put into this. Tell us a little bit about how the kind of digital world comes into play with this very physical world that you are you are working on. Yeah, no, I think when, when you look at our brand recognition, human nature, Nature at its best. So fundamentally, we really care about nature, but the humans and the technology are really harnessing the, our ability to to do that. Be, behind the scenes of a sort of a gardener, as I as uh, my children think I am, <laughs> there's a high tech IT platform, and this high tech IT platform enables us to. Uh, manage up to 350 400,000 individual visits over a summer period coordinating that with 3000 field teams who are our field team partners and then in order to give a service level to a, a multitude of clients so whilst cutting the grass or planting trees is the outcome there's a, a very high tech environment behind that enables that to take place. I love the fact that your kids are sat at home thinking you're a gardener. Maybe they're going to listen to this interview, Jason, and, and, and they'll form a new view. But cheeky question. How is your gardener? Are you a good gardener at home? <laughs> yeah, I've got pretty, pretty green fingers, I, I must admit. 
<laughs> good, good to hear. Right now, let me throw a few things at you while, while we're talking matters family. Dad, an engineer in the Royal Navy, yeah. up in the Middle East and Lincolnshire, yeah. could have gone all the way in rugby, engineering yeah. degree and an MBA. Are they the vital ingredients of the Jason Knights we know and are interviewing today? Yeah, I, I, I think your your personal tapestry make you what you are, don't they? And I, I think from the, the grassroots of uh, sport, actually, is, is kind of the clear thing that's driven me. Like I, I enjoy working as a team. I, I, I enjoy excelling in everything I do. I've got massive energy. And I think we were speaking earlier how when you speak to professional sportsmen, they're, they're always incredible individuals who are driven, whether you're Duncan Goodhue and you're getting up at two o'clock in the morning to swim a thousand lengths or, or you're, you know, Sean Fitzpatrick or any of these individuals. It's all about drive and the, the ability to go above and beyond and mm-hmm. I think my starting point of sport where you know I didn't quite make it and I wasn't quite good enough I don't think but I still had the drive and the passion to keep things going and I've kind of taken that ethos into uh, business. Well because I, I sometimes think that a great similarity between elite sports people and I guess elite business leaders is that it's not that they're they're good at what they do but it's actually how do they turn their worst moments into their best moments that seems to be the thing that really does define the true champions. I mean, you're growing a a very high growth business. In terms of how you ensure that you keep that going, you keep that momentum, and of course momentum is a big thing in sport too. Is there a sporting metaphor to draw down here in terms of the vital ingredients for your work, do you think? I I think there's loads, isn't there? I think, uh, well, there's various ones. I love my sport. So Ricky McCall, I mentioned him earlier, but I don't believe in magic. I believe in hard work. Mm. You you don't get anything for nothing. It, it's all all about the uh, the hard yards. The harder I practice, the luckier I get, which is a bit of a Gary playerism kind of. That's all. However, my golf does not get better the more I practice, so it must be a bit of a Gary player <laughs> one. Uh, <laughs> but there, there, there's lots of them. But I think a lot of them come from you kind of make your own luck. You've mm. got to work hard, and you have to create the value. Nothing comes easy, and uh, change is very hard to achieve but, but there is a certain fitness isn't there to high performance environments in terms of just how you maintain that going for growth mentality yeah i think something that we have at ground control which which i love and i i've been here two years so we, we're kind of doubling the size of the business in two years we'll triple it in four four to five years the cultural the culture and the value base of what we have in terms of how we started caring for the environment being a force for good, human nature at its best as we've evolved. And people really care. And um, I really care about the environment. And when you're doing a job, you really like, you like the people. And fundamentally, you're you're putting something back and caring for the environment as well. You've kind of reached a point of getting out of bed in the morning and enjoying your job. Because that's something I wanted to ask you. you know, I mean, I, I suppose for a lot of us is that we read the papers, we might watch Blue Planet, we might, you know, we 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 we'll, we'll feel it. But when you're actually 
that involved in things where you know you're you're on the front line of an environment that is clearly changing i wonder what the emotional context is for you and and your team in terms of a world that's changing fast around us and actually a big question about whether we can actually win in in terms of actually our ability to turn back the biodiversity clock i, th- I think these these type of things are all about awareness and education i, I think 24 months ago people weren't talking about biodiversity at all now people are talking about it it's becoming we're 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 finally achieving a stage where where people start to start to listen uh, in our particular business individuals are are enabling themselves to put back into the environment and then they feel like they're they're in a better place mm. i think the level of education the legend the level of awareness is now moving from sustainability to biodiversity and which is a great thing and the impact of the changing environment is becoming more and more apparent. And as a consequence, we are accelerating a position of improvement, which four or five years ago wasn't even being discussed. And I am ever the optimist. I just hope that direction of travel continues. Well, I suppose when you look at big government, things like COP26, you know, promised the new dawn in global sustainability. You've got COP15 on its way to discuss life on land. I mean, I suppose these are all good examples of big government sort of getting it. But when you look at your kind of fellow business leaders, fellow scale-ups, not just your customers, but actually the business community that you are a part of. Do you get a sense that enough people get it? Enough people are actually gripping the moment in terms of how we affect change in this absolutely mission-critical arena? The, the, the unfortunate thing is out of COP15, which is yet to come, COP26, the the actual policy and demands that are laid onto businesses hasn't really been tangible and targets have been quite long range. And when you run a business and you've got a target of carbon net zero in 2050, there's a lot of lot of water to go under the bridge in those 28 mm. years. And are you making business decisions? that are as a consequence of 2050 now. I think even the best businesses with a long strategic outlook would say no. So I, I do I do think there's a desire to do the right thing because fundamentally a lot of people are good people. And, and certainly with the likes of B Corp and accreditations like this, they are driving business for the right reasons and for the better good. Mm. And it's not just the motives. I mean, you know, our new king's alleged to have said that, yeah. you know, governments have millions but business has billions. I mean, there is a a sense that there is real economic firepower that business can use to do to do good things. But I suppose the question is, how do you turn all of that that talent and that energy and that potential into coalescing around these big problems? I mean, I mean, you're a B Corp. I mean, tell us a little bit about about how how you think that gets done. Well. I think B Corp, they, they form what they what good business looks like. And um and I think the, the good thing of that is when when you become part of that community, the clients that you work for want to have businesses that work for them that do business in the right way. So 
I think the more that that business has evolved, it has meant that the client base want businesses of a similar motives and similar ethos, and that is bringing together. I think now, if the education policy associated with environment, biodiversity, sustainability keeps progressing, then the client base will equally want business partners that behave in the same way. So like a few years ago, where you were talking about manufacturing in environments with uh, with a labour force that wasn't appropriate, people acted and it got solved in many respects. Well, it certainly improved. And I think if biodiversity and environment becomes a cause in the same way, then it will become a way of working. And mm-hmm. that's what I hope the business environment seek to uh, follow that path. Mm. You mentioned COP15 happening in December in, in Montreal. And, and obviously, it, it's looking at sustainable development goal number 15, life on land. When you look at that in terms of, you know, what can be considered by many as a very lofty ambition, you know, macro huge in terms of its scale. When you look at it at micro level in terms of how how good businesses actually start to become more like custodians of life on land. What, what's the advice you'd give to business leaders listening into this this interview, thinking, well, I want to do more of this. What do I do next? I think you, you've just got to uh, break it down and uh, have what your directive is. I think if you consider life on land, <laughs> my goodness, where, where do you start? So whether you're focusing on wetlands or whether you're focusing on reforestation or whether you're focusing on a a certain element of that. My advice is to pick your part that you care about and then you want to make better and improve. Focus on achieving that and uh, achieve your goal. If you're going to life on land, you you won't know where to start. And I think creating a community that is based on that and then we can go right okay ground control you're going to do wetlands i'm really passionate about it we just had a hottest summer ever i want to avoid drought uh, i'm working very closely with utility providers let's really focus on on improving that and over here it might be another company goes i'll tell you what i'm gonna plant a million trees and uh, that's my focus we were discussing off air that the young jason always fancied a career in engineering went and did an engineering degree how does the engineer's eye come to work on a business which deals with the environment engineers are funny breed aren't they i, I, I was one that where you know you never feel finished at 80 percent. you want to keep making things better and do improve things it differently. Yeah. yeah keep keep driving and and whether you have a certain type of material initially you want to do it by a different type of material or a different energy source and once you're using this amount of energy you want to reduce the energy i think the my passion was like environmentally engineering in terms of creating a mechanical and electrical distribution systems that run efficiently whilst using the lowest amount of energy mm. and just keep driving driving a sustainable cause um, that engineering alignment then linked to biodiversity and caring for the environment. There's there's actually a natural a natural right. link together. So, so efficient use of of the world's resources. Yeah, yeah. And and in terms of when you see that in terms of customer conversations, how are they changing over the years in terms of the the appreciation that this is not just anymore about how do we you know keep things neat and tidy. This is about real custodianship of 
of land and and how we use it. I mean, is that a real thing in terms of the commercial conversations that you have with with large landowners? Yeah, I, I certainly think people want to make the most of their land, obviously, because there's an economic driver to achieve that. However, now whilst having the land, they want to do the right thing and drive solutions and conclusions that enable them to have the best of both worlds. So when we're working with customers now, I think if you just said, I'm going to give you the most economical solution, they go, well, that's a given. What more can you offer in terms of giving me the most economical solution with the value add as well? I think I think that's where business is going, and uh, there's certainly that's what we're finding with the people we work for. So, what are the sorts of things? I mean, obviously, you've got a vast range of of customers, but in terms of, I'm thinking about what what the kind of the the wish list is that you're you're confronted with. What are the sort of things that the customers are asking you to do? I mean, I can imagine they they don't want chemicals and you know in in things like you're using to sort of condition the land or or but i mean uh, what what's the most stretching exam question you've been uh, you've been asked to answer as, as a business do you think well, i think i think there's it's whether it be replanting rewilding create creation of pollen pathways which uh which links uh the roads of highways england and and network rail i think there's a micro and a macro aspect where companies whether you have a bird box or a beehive and whether you replant trees and you we we convince them not to cut the grass because we think it'll be better for uh, rewilding mm. but the bit we're really trying to do is link different customers together so with one major retailer with another re- major retailer the fact that they won't work together uh, is okay but we can link them together and and that's that's certainly the way we're trying to uh, mm. trying to drive our business i mean and timing as they say in in business really does matter i mean it strikes me that you're at the helm of a business whose whose time has really come in terms of being seen as a real value driver, I guess for um, for the sorts of customers that you're 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 working with, in terms of actually how they are seen to do their bit and actually manage their environments well. Yeah, and uh, and of course, of course they are, and and we we really want to work with people, and we do work with people who have the same uh, the same value and ethos as as we do. But I think one of one of the challenges as well with where we're talking about biodiversity is. The metrics associated with this measurement are quite tricky. Where carbon, we finally we finally found a metric. We're just going to reduce the tonnage, and then we're we're going to do uh, carbon neutrality and and then net zero science based targets is definitely the way we're going to go. One, two, three. Right, you're net zero. Well done. But when you talk about biodiversity, the metrics associated with it are certainly more vague to say the least and as a consequence people whilst giving back don't know a tangible way what they've done and i think Mm -hmm. that is a real challenge when we're we're talking to our customers we can make their external environment better and you know in terms of a more biodiverse environment but what does it really mean and that's the challenge and and you've you've talked about the need for to, to overcome that for academia, government, others to come together to agree the standard for measurement? Because I suppose you can feel it, but if you can't measure it, how do you know you're winning? Yeah, and, uh, and also you can't hold people account to mm. it. So so I, I think I think coming coming out of uh, uh, COP15, actually, you know, if, if a 
uh, we can drive a measurement or, of that and to have a tangible uh, directive, it'll really help everyone who wants to do things for the right reason and actually keep driving in the right direction. Mm. When we first met, I kind of got the feeling that this was a scale-up business that you know, if you told me it had been a startup five years ago, I would I would have said that that makes sense. But actually, as you alluded to at the beginning of this interview, this is a this is a business with years on the clock, and years on the clock in a very precious and va- fragile ecosystem, if you like, in terms of actually how how nature does flourish, how you do get nature at its best, and bringing that human nature in as well. In terms of how that business. I suppose has had to evolve over the long term, but also in the two years that you've been there. What what have been the what have been the changes that you, you you'd share with us? I mean, what you know, the four the four seasons of ground control. What what, what have they been? Well, yeah, I think I think one one thing that is very strong in ground control and is is our our values and vision. So when when I arrived, um, the values were very strong in terms of. Uh, force for good, caring for the environment, and they they had a vision of of certainly things they wanted to achieve. And but what I brought in is a a strategy to achieve the vision. So it was a case of we we split the business down into five key elements. We gave each business a very clear business plan to achieve. Uh, short-term and long-term goal and then we brought it together into one plan then also we we created uh, strategic priorities in terms of connecting with customers so we wanted to work with the right people with the with the same same motives of ourselves but, but do, do you think do you think that working with a business that's been been around for a bit i mean you also work for for the weights um yeah. construction company and you know a, a, that's a family business do, do you think that there is something about the need to take a long-term view in, a, in an environment like you're working in yeah, I think I think when we're quite an old company that's become big in the last ten years. So fifty years, we uh, for the first thirty of those years, we're probably you know less than fifty million. But in the last uh, twenty years, the growth has continued and gone from strength to strength. But I think the values of a family-owned business remain within the culture of the organisation, and the same as when I was with Waits before, they were fourth and fifth generation. The values of being a family-owned business and the culture associated with that is a is a really it's a really strong thing and i suppose and, uh, also being a privately owned business allows yeah. you to do things like the evergreen yeah. fund where you're dedicating five percent of your annual profits to exactly uh, exactly tell, tell us a little bit about that uh, so um five percent of our profits go into the evergreen fund and this is certainly where ground control walk the walk you know we, we we're really strong on talking about it we want the change in policy but equally, we're happy to put the uh, money where our mouth is and invest in sustainable businesses that are going to help the environment. So we've got a multitude of businesses that we invest in. And on top of that, we've now had a real focus on uh, investment in land. So we've got 300 acres in, of what called Wildfell in Essex. And now we're, we're making that a centre of excellence in terms of biodiversity. And whilst we're talking about you should do this, what we're doing is we are doing this. Come and have a look. Come and copy this. That's a that's a real area of uh, development for us. So last question. I think listeners listening into this interview will have taken a very sort of strong view that they've met a positive, optimistic person that likes to get things done. You're working in a, a part 
part of the world where there are wildly contrasting views, m- many of them quite negative, about the ability of the environment to, you know, to be to be saved. I guess for us to sort of avert a lot of the things you were talking about earlier, the forty degree summers and many of the problems that we are we are encountering. How does the positive person stay positive in an environment which looks increasingly difficult? I think COVID was quite a good one for me, was the Earth's ability to recover is amazing. So I live in Epsom. So uh, whilst I was uh, walking the dog in that environment, then there's no planes in the sky. So so we had a real clear period where obviously the uh, the earth stopped traveling around produced less pollution and um the the for the, for a period of time we had a bit of a a time where we could recover and very very quickly the the smog the atmosphere when i looked at london it got clearer and clearer and the rate of recovery is actually remarkable in terms of the strength of the planet that we live on and we also see that in terms of the areas we do try to improve and we plant things and we we do all the right things so the optimism in me sees that when people take charge, the planet reacts very strongly and we gain momentum and improve quickly. And what I hope is that people take hold of this quickly enough. We don't wait another 20 years talking about biodiversity and we enable this wonderful place to recover. And mm. uh, that's that's the optimist in me, the optimist in terms of what I see in the little snippets and I, I follow. Brilliant. Seize the day, seize the moment. Jason Knights, thank you so much for joining me on Changemakers. Yeah, lovely. Thank you, Michael. Lovely seeing you. Thanks for your time. Changemakers is brought to you by the campaign's firm Seven Hills and presented by me, Michael Heyman. Pure Being is the name of our soundtrack and it's written and performed by the brilliant BT Wolf. To find out more, head over to changemakers.works and if you like what you hear, why not give us a rating? 